girls and ghouls, it's time to gather round us horrifying hunter, petrified Preston, and devilish Dan crack open another cursed volume of tales from the crypt. This is Horrors from the Vault. <laughs> Welcome, kitties, to Horrors from the Vault. My name is Horrifying Hunter, and I'll be one of the three shadowy figures leading you into the vault. Tonight, we're cracking open our second tome, and all through the house, that episode that you probably remember for being in hit film, Lethal Weapon 2. I've got some Christmas goose for you. Goose bumps, that is. Yes, indeedy, a little terror tale, chock full of holiday fear. I mean cheer, of course. But before we can venture fully into the vault, let me introduce you to my co-hosts. You know what? This week, I'm going to start with the man who probably actually has seen Lethal Weapon 2. Of course, I'm talking about Devilish Dan. Yo, man, it has been a stressful day, so I am happy to get into a more Christmassy mood. Uh, talk some tales from the crypt with two of my best buds. Look, Dan, I know we're, we're all Halloween people here. We're definitely in the midst of spooky season, but... If, I know you love Nightmare Before Christmas, so I'm just going to go mm -hmm, off of that. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming you love a little bit of, of chestnuts on an open fire in your pumpkin season, right? I mean, as much as I love Halloween, Christmas is a very close second. And to be fair, there are some excellent fucking Christmas horror movies that maybe we can do a, a spinoff episode of, of uh, sometime. That'd be really fun. We'll try to revisit that again come December. And a man that I know absolutely loves the Christmas season and especially loves Christmas in his horror. Like we just said, that's Mr. Petrified Preston. That's right, buddy. Hey, I put the pumpkin spice away. I've got the gingerbread candle going, you know, I'm getting in the season in here. That's what we do. You, you are definitely most likely to be wearing a sweater and a scarf right now. I can see you doing it. <laughs> little, little pipe to the side as well. You know? Yeah. I, yeah. I love that. You've got like a nice hardcover book in your lap. You're ready to read to the children. <laughs> I could totally see you doing that. You'd make of the a three of us. Santa. Yeah, of the three of us, Preston's the most wholesome by far. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Man, this uh, this episode, this is an iconic one, guys. This is uh, this is going to be a fun one to dig into. You're totally right. This did air on June 10th of 1989, so along with the first episode that we covered and The Man Who Was Death, and then we have um, the next episode, which will be next week, uh, Dig That Cat, He's Real Gone. But tonight we're talking about, once again, and all through the house, that was season one, episode two. Like Preston said, this is a very iconic episode. Dan, as our resident, kind of, you're, you're get, diving back into... Tales from the Crypt. 
is this one of those episodes you mentioned on episode zero where you're like some of these just kind of stick with you and never leave yeah absolutely The, the next two actually were two that definitely stuck out in my mind there's probably about five or six total that i remember very well and this this one and the next one are, are two of them and hey if you're listening to this in the car if you're looking at your phone wh- whatever you're listening to this podcast on i mean heck we know how iconic this episode is santa is front and center on our podcast album artwork so look we know this episode has has some high respects it's definitely highly regarded and uh yeah hopefully we do it justice tonight so without further ado let's go ahead and jingle those bells because tonight it's about to get Christmassy. All right, Preston. So why don't we go ahead and start how we always do. Let's talk a little bit about the comic inspiration for this episode, because yes, like pretty much all these, this does have its roots all the way back in those wonderful EC comics we love so much. Oh, dude, no kidding. Let's flip over to the Vault of Horror number 35. Guys, we're going back to February of 1954. 54, that's right. Uh, First of all, got to point out this fantastic horror Christmas theme artwork. I mean, I love the image layout. And, you know, just that, I mean, we're going to talk a lot about this because this is iconic with the EC Comics, right? Just that large image with the three featured characters off to the side. I would argue, for the sake of our podcast, that it really holds up, fellas, by the way. Um, Just kind of wow with the story, right? A common theme that we're going to be carrying throughout this entire series is just how far ahead of its time this style, this content, kind of way of storytelling was, right? I mean, we've got wives taking out husbands, serial killers running around dressed as Santa. I mean, this story is legit and it's raw. And the way that they are able to create suspense within the confines of this, you know, less than 10 page comic is absolutely impressive to me. Um, Really great and really intense uh, storytelling with this particular story. Yeah, man, Preston, you, you mentioned the art and I'm, I'm a big comic fan. I've, I've read a billion comics and the art on this one, for some reason was very striking to me. The, the line art, the coloring, the shading is all gorgeous. Uh, I didn't, I wasn't even looking at like a really great copy of it, like a good, a good scan, but it really stood out as, as up there with some modern stuff for sure. I, I completely agree. Hunter, what did you think about this one? Yeah, I mean, totally agreed because that art, I feel like that's a big reason why, yes, it's always very fun to have Christmas horror. Christmas horror is a favorite of a lot of people because for for us, like for us three, it's like, hey, we don't have to quite let go of Halloween just yet. It's a little extension into the Christmas season. But for people that maybe aren't super into Halloween, I, I know a couple people like that, but they like Christmas horror because they like Christmas the holiday. So this is just kind of right in that perfect section where it appeals to many different types of people. And with that said, I think that's why the art stands out so much and why it's become so recognizable, because not only are you capturing the audience uh, of all these different groups, they're remembering how distinct that art was. And I feel like this was definitely one of the ones that they had to adapt. We're going to talk about it a little bit later, or at least Dan is, but you know, the, they've gone back to this well a couple times now just because it is such a great concept. And obviously it really resonates with people. Yeah, I mean, we may as well 
put put it out there right now. This was adapted not only for the TV show, but also the original movie that they did in the 70s, uh, starring Joan Collins in the main role. Uh, but yeah, the other thing you mentioned, Preston, you said it was 1955. For the type of story it is, like we've seen it a million times right now with, you know, The Strangers and Straw Dogs, stuff like that, home invasion movies. Sure. I can't remember like really an old classic home invasion tale. So this might have been one of the, the first proto home invasion stories out there. And I just love how this storyline is like interweaving you know, a couple different things, right? We have, you know, we're going to get into all the details when we get into the episode, but we have this woman trying to cover something up. We've got, you know, uh, like I said, a serial killer kind of on the prowl. Like all these things are kind of happening at once. And it makes for, like I said, a really intense read. And as we'll continue to get into as well, uh, this lines up really well with the episode. I mean, yes, there are a couple differences here and there. I mean, obviously they have to adapt this thing into 20 plus minutes. So there's going to be some extra stuff. But I mean, it's really true to the comic in, in this particular episode. That That's definitely fair to say. Yeah, I like to make notes of the differences, and my notes are pretty blank for that. It's uh, pretty one-to-one on this one. That's awesome. Well, hey, uh, Preston, for the comic, are you going to give it, is it a must-read? Is it kind of a check it out if you like this story? Well, obviously, it's not a skip, but that would kind of be the next year. (laughs) I'm assuming this would be a must-read, right? No. For the art by itself, I'm sure. Absolutely. It's a must read. I mean, it's a must read any time of the year, any day, but come on. Uh, holiday season, give me a break. This is you you got to add this to the rotation. I'm imagining old man Preston, pipe in mouth, <laughs> like you said earlier, <laughs> sitting around the fireplace, showing the grandkids this one reading it on <laughs> Christmas Eve. They're gonna love Gra- it. Grabbing the fireplace poker, you know, That's acting right. acting the scene out. I like it. Just threatening them, just a little bit. <laughs> and uh Yeah, I guess before we move forward, like it is fun, like how timeless this episode is. And I feel like the Christmas quality adds to it because there's just something about Christmas that that feels, you know, not to to revisit that word. But yes, it is timeless. It it exists in this perfect space where it can just be and will continue to be forevermore. And um, yeah, I think that's why uh, another part of why this episode was so uh, why they were so keen to adapt it is just because they knew that this is going to be one of those things that resonates with people even at this point, you know, over three decades later. And now here we are 30 years from that point almost. And uh, yeah, the, this is just a really great one. I, I Not only is it one of the great episodes, it's one of the great comics. Well, Dan, before we get into the episode, why don't you go ahead and give us our key players for the week? Because, oh man, this one is one of those that... You know, when we talked about on episode zero, the the main mission statement of this podcast was not only to celebrate the episode, but the people who are putting it together. And um, the opening credits for this just never stops with heavy hitters. Like, this is an intense crossover episode in a lot of ways. Yeah, there are several people here that I'm excited to talk about. Uh, We'll start at the top like we always do. You know how we go. Writers, uh, main credit is Fred Decker. He uh, is the writer and director of The Monster Squad and Night of the Creeps with our boy Tom Atkins with one of yeah. the best mustaches in the game. Uh, he's also known as a writer of House and House 2. Hunter, I know you like those movies a lot. Oh, man. Yeah, Fred Decker is one of those writers that does work for me. I especially love Night of the Creeps. 
Tom Atkins, like you said. Make sure to check your kids' candy. You will find an entire Tom Atkins ass from Halloween 3 inside there. Um, that's one of my favorite pictures to share every year. But uh, yeah, everything else you mentioned, uh, Monster Squad, and especially House and its sequel, its incredibly goofy sequel, um, are special to me. But, yeah, hey, speak- but, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm just going to say, bring on that Monster Squad 4K, please. Anyway, we will oh, continue. Coming. It's coming. In November. Yeah, a little right? after the season. What the hell? Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> Uh, but speaking of Night of the Creeps and Halloween 3, if you are a Halloween 3 fan and you enjoy Tom Atkins in that movie, please do yourself a favor. Check out Night of the Creeps. It is a banger. I had not seen it until a couple of years ago, and I corrected that, and I bought a toy and got it signed. It's great. Check it out. Uh, also writing is Stephen Dodd, as always. He's you know credited with writing pretty much every episode as being a co-writer. Uh, director, uh-oh. We talked about this guy before. We might know him. Robert Zemeckis. You know him. Uh, Mm, He's back for a Back to the Future. Yeah, who is that guy? Robert (laughs) Zemeckis. Yeah. You know, Back to the Future, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, all that good shit. Yeah. Uh, But speaking of Back to the Future, bit of a reunion because the music is by Alan Silvestri. And Preston, you might want to say something about the cinematography cinematography by one Dean Cundy. I I was already ahead of you, brother. As soon as I saw Dean Cundy, hey, you know, I'm smiling. That's all I need. One of Preston's favorite people in the world. Absolutely. (laughs) The cinematographer of Garfield starring Bill Murray. (laughs) You you probably know him best for that. Right, right, Preston? Wait, what's the uh, Adam Sandler movie he did where Adam Sandler plays the woman and the guy? Jack and Jill. Jack and Jill. Yeah, Uh, that's his his most famous uh, accomplishment there. He's done three movies, Garfield, Back to the Future, and Jack and Jill. (laughs) (laughs) Jurassic Park. Uh, No one. one, There we go. Yeah, those are the those are the four. But yes, very prolific, very famous, and you can see a ton of his uh, fingerprints all over this thing. I mean, his oh, cinematography yeah. in this is great. Yeah, the one thing I I realized about Dean Cundy when we were watching Back to the Future Two last time is he's not a flashy director, but he is a solid director. Like every shot he does yeah. is exactly the shot it needs to be. Nothing flashy, just bare bones. Here's here's what it needs to be. You can't get much better than this. He's a fan of great lighting, and you yes. see a lot of that in this. Yeah, we're going to talk about in the opening shot. Yeah, dude. Okay, sorry. I, w- I don't want to get there too quick, but I love just that title sequence. And and, and yeah, I we'll, was going to we'll bring more that about up. That. Yeah, dude, I, it's like I mean, it's perfect. Yeah, let's go ahead and talk about that because this is as good of a spot as any. I mean, like it is a free flowing format, but yeah, the Christmas flow of everything is so perfect and a lot of that goes down to mr dean and company yeah that the the shot of the opening over the the music and and just that pan shot over the set decoration Mm -hmm. everything is just a hundred percent correct that's awesome you guys want to talk about who stars in this let's do it oh yeah people so I think we should start probably a, a, a drinking game every time I mention a certain movie. And we're going to get there in a second because the main star of this week's episode is Mary Ellen Trainer as wife. Uh, she was in movies such as Death Becomes Here. Her. Here's the one to drink to. The Goonies. She plays yeah. Irene Walsh. Let's drink every time we talk about the Goonies because it's going to be a lot. <laughs> Come back next week if you want to continue your drinking. <laughs> Maybe the week <laughs> after that. Yeah, keep drinking. Don't stop. Uh, <laughs> Cars from the Vault does not encourage alcoholism, but if you want a fun game, just, you know, 
do your best. Be responsible. <laughs> I might start bringing up the Goonies just so people drink. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Uh, she was also in a weird show in the 80s and 90s called Parker Lewis Can't Lose. She likes playing mothers a lot. She was the mother in that. She also had bit parts in Scrooge, The Monster Squad, Romancing the Stone, Forrest Gump, Amazing Stories, and a bunch of other stuff because she was married to Robert Zemeckis. That's why. Good also, connection. Yep. Also, uh, I am excited as hell to introduce everyone to good old St. Nick himself, Mr. Larry Drake. Oh, apparently, on, Larry. apparently he's best known for a show called L.A. Law, and he played a dude named Benny. I don't know anything about that, to be honest with you. But I do know the other thing he's known for is he played fucking Dr. Giggles and Robert Durant in Darkman. And yeah. those two, man, he nails those and just knocks them out of the park. Uh, he's also played Bubba in Dark Knight of the Scarecrow, which I hadn't seen until this past year. Oh, awesome. I love that. It's a lot of fun. And uh, apparently Benny is a, a mentally hand- handicapped gentleman, and so is Bubba in Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. So Larry Drake likes playing mentally handicapped people and, and won I, an I, Emmy for it. Yeah. I, I mean, that can also be implied from this role, right? He's yep. he's a little goofy. He's he's a little nuts. We'll, oh, we'll yeah. get into that. Yeah. A little bit. Man, uh, one thing I do want to mention, and I do not mean to bring this down, but you know, we have within the past couple years lost, unfortunately, both Mary Ellen Trainer and Larry Drake, and and that really makes me sad. But I am very happy to see their amazing work. You know, not only continue or continue outside of you know this series, obviously, but definitely makes me happy to see him in this episode, man, because this is just Chef's kiss. Yep. And the final uh, player I want to make note of, a uh, very small part in this, spent most of the episode dead, is Marshall Bell as husband. Uh, he's best known probably for Carl Coach Snyder in uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. He was also, uh, in, Stan- yeah, the coach. Uh, yeah. He's also in Stand By Me, Total Recall, Starship Troopers, and uh, Identity. He played the DA. But yeah, nice. obviously a big one, Freddy's Revenge. Yeah, for sure. So I got to ask you guys not to go off on this tangent, but Dr. Giggles is one of those movies that I've kind of relegated to being, you know, TNT 1 a.m. fair. Um, <laughs> it's kind of one of those movies when somebody wants to psych you out where they're like, oh, have you seen Dr. Giggles? I've always maybe it's the title. I know it's intentionally silly. Should I check out Dr. Giggles at some point? Should I put it on the list? Yeah. Is it essential viewing? It, for for you that's seen a bunch of other shit absolutely okay yeah. so you're not going to put it on baby's first horror movie list but for me <laughs> as a genre fan you're going to recommend it yes if you've seen a bunch of the other must sees and haven't delved too deep into the weirdo territory it's a must watch uh once you hit that level we watched it again i think we bought it uh during the pandemic when we were going and just buying random ass shit and uh we didn't regret it it was enjoyable I feel like a lot of us can describe our pandemic as just <laughs> buying a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, my, my movie collection yeah. grew exponentially throughout those oh. uh, years, yes. <laughs> For sure. Man, what a roundup of talent, though. Like, absolutely insane. And, like, obviously, there's several other key players, and we just don't have time to mention everybody. But this really is, like, the S-tier list when it comes to talent all working together on one of these episodes. completely agreed i mean it's stellar all the way around behind the camera in front in front of the camera and that equates to a fantastic episode that i'm excited to kind of dig into i I got a feeling where these letter grades are going boys or excuse me not letter grades severed thumbs 
Severed thumb grades. Yeah, we'll get into that. I do want to mention as well that Zemeckis does end up directing three episodes throughout the series lifespan, and this is his first one, but we have a little while to go before we see him again behind the director's chair. But of course, he is in the executive producer slot, so he's always going to be in those opening credits for us. He also directed Goonies. (laughs) <laughs> no he didn't <laughs> oh that's it he didn't no he didn't no he didn't, no, he didn't. you still got a drink though that's, that's the next episode i forgot todd if you're listening to this put the drink down he didn't mean it i don't know you and you don't know me but i just know you're out there put the drink down um all right guys let's talk about this episode because like i said i'm a little nervous not that i don't think you know we can do it justice but this episode has a certain a certain feel to it that it's just gone down as one of the ultimate episodes. Like I said, it's on the album artwork. So with a little bit of apprehension, let's talk about the creepy Santa keeper because Holy shit. I, I love that Ooh. how terrifying this thing is. And I love that he walks on his tiny little frail legs, like a man suffering from leprosy in a Santa suit. I think he is, one of the creepiest parts about it is like, there's nothing wrong with the mask. The mask is like a perfectly fine, clean, nice thing. And it's just on this decrepit skeleton man body. And it's, I don't know, man. Something something about like the face sagginess of it. I don't know. Something is like throwing me off with it because that was very troublesome to look at. I I will say. I think think it's because he doesn't have a nose. It's like sitting very, very (laughs) tight against the face. And it looks like, it's one of those Santa toys that you would just have around the house when you were growing up, right? Especially during that time period. And it's like he's carved that face off like a little Santa Claus leather face. Right. Stapled it or whatever across his head. And the way that it is so tight, he's almost got the Michael Myers and H2O eye effect going on, Preston. Yeah. Little eyes peering out of those right. holes. Yeah. I, I will also say, man, this, I, I thought it, I kind of laughed when I initially saw it because it really lines up with what we saw in the comic. Now, while the comic doesn't start off with it, it certainly ends with seeing him in the mask. Then he rips it off and you see his regular face. But I thought that was awesome. Yeah, yeah. And we are going to talk about this. I want to do when we do our episode ranking at the end of this season, which won't be too far away because we've only got six episodes to talk about this season before we kind of rank all of them. I also want to talk about our favorite Crypt Keeper segments, and this one has always creeped me out. So it's just going to be interesting seeing where it fits on that list, because I don't know if it's my favorite, but it probably is the one that most people remember, right? Like they remember creepy Santa Crypt Keeper. <laughs> it gets nowhere near as off the rails as those Crypt Keeper segments get, but yeah, it's pretty good. I would say, like, it's just as memorable as some of the really weird ones. Like, yes, it doesn't go as bizarro as some of those do, but I think it's up there. I still think it's, you know, maybe in the top 10 kind of circle. I guess we'll see. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Jack Frost nipping at your nose. Yuletide carols being sung by Dan, Preston, listen. Do you guys smell something? Chestnuts, gingerbread, (laughs) pine trees, the, the, the smoldering embers of the fire, fresh blood on the fire poker, the amazing sense of Christmas. 
Ed Bath and Body Works, right? (laughs) It's the evening of Christmas Eve, and Joseph has just been murdered by his wife, Elizabeth. Merry Christmas, you son of a bitch. We meet his stepdaughter, Carrie Ann, who obviously is very excited for Santa. She sweetly asks what her mom wants for Christmas when she's being tucked in, and she says with a smile, I already got it, sweetheart. (laughs) We already talked about it, but the opening credits here is so good. Um, it's, it's an exceptional opening credit sequence and I just love the soft lull of Christmas music. It's not even late. It feels like it's like, you know, midnight Christmas time, the kids are in bed, but then you look at the clock and it's only like 7 PM, but because it's winter, it's, you know, completely dark outside. (laughs) But I do like that this one gets straight to the action. There's really no wasted time. All the slow stuff takes uh, place during that opening credits. And uh, with that great little thud, as it goes into Joseph's brain, we get the great little heave and ho back and forth. And uh, Joseph's out. And like I said, we just dive right into this episode. <laughs> you know how you know he had it coming? Because he's wearing a cardigan and a cravat together. Now, I wear a lot of cardigans. <laughs> but I never wear a cravat with them. <laughs> this has been fashion advice with devilish man. <laughs> Bastard had it coming. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, right. that opening shot, we got to go one more time. It's like, God damn, the, uh, nothing is wrong with that shot. The, 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 the score, the music, everything. Perfect. You can smell the bourbon coming off of it. The, the anger obviously uh, is, is there uh, just like everyone's family Christmas. Um, this one ended in murder. Most, most don't. Man, and I just have to note, like, I am, as we all are, I mean, we kind of addressed this in the opening, but, like, I am such a big holiday guy, and they are so very important to me. And I'll be honest, like, with us just kind of getting in a spooky season, I was a little, like, interested how I was going to kind of receive this this episode, even though I'm very familiar with it. Um, I'm not used to watching it out of season, to be honest with you. And, man, just... Like you said, Dan, uh, us the way this episode gets started, like it just set the stage, made me feel right at home. And uh, that says a lot because it takes a lot to to kind of get me in that mode this time of year. You brought up a really good point there, Preston, because I don't know if you've joined me or, or you, Dan, but over the last couple of years, this has been part of my Christmas watch rotation. It's always one of those sure. things where maybe I don't want to watch a holiday movie. It's like too late or I can't sleep at night and I just I want something to kind of put on that is it's low commitment. I still want to enjoy it and I still want to watch it, but you know, I, I don't want to watch a full film. This has become part of that rotation when I want something a little bit more twisted in, in my, my holiday fair. And uh, because of this one, I can probably say this is my most seen episode. Mm. And it's, we're, we're going to talk about how we feel about it, but for those reasons and it being so tied to the holiday and just being, spooky Christmas material, it kind of gives this one a leg up just because I've seen it so many times. Yeah, that familiarity is is certainly there with it. I mean, yeah, I mean, come on, 20 minutes, holiday watch, give me a break. Fits in nicely right right next to Charlie Brown. <laughs> That's right. 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 I can see the old uh, like NBC ads where it's like, <laughs> do you think, ding, like, ding. could Linus give us a monologue about, <laughs> about the meaning of of killing your your husband. Um, I do want to just give a shout out to Carrie's absolutely adorable teddy bear. They just don't make teddy bears like that anymore. Very cute Aww. teddy bear. And the way she says... Give... Go ahead. Oh, going ahead? 
I was just saying, I want to give a shout out to the split diopter shot in that where you can see the foreground and the background. It merely makes it look like a comic book with the you know, dude's head up front and her in the background. Uh, just uh, yeah. away. This one's positioned like a comic book in a lot of ways. There's a lot that's um, not always, you know, a direct pull, but it's just very reminiscent of that style. The blocking is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I brought up the adorable teddy bear and I also like the way that Carrie goes, good night, Joseph. And then she's like mumbling to herself why he didn't say good night back. And you're like, <laughs> man, what an asshole father. And then you realize he's the stepdad and you're like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> he had it coming. Clearly. Right. One. right. We don't realize, but uh, you know, if Dan's fashion advice is to be followed, he did have it coming for mm. just that. Um, so, Hey, you know, we find out that Elizabeth wasn't a faithful wife, but she definitely is a dumb broad because she immediately calls her party bro yes, lover yes. and uh, gives off all of the splatter facts straight into the voicemail box. And I just come on, Dan, I, I can I can hear you. I could hear you he, laughing. He told her time. not to call. The first yeah. thing she says, I know you told me not to call, but but here's how I murdered my husband 30 seconds ago. Hey, it's the Jesus. Nick monster. I'm out partying. Leave your name, number, and measurements. Uh, <laughs> I hope somebody hasn't heard of the FBI. Yeah, yeah, he's sure. partying on Christmas Eve, too. So, you know, this dude's a scumbag as well. He's got a type for sure. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I, <laughs> how do we say this without being incredibly rude? I like that Elizabeth isn't shown to be very smart <laughs> in this episode <laughs> whatsoever. She makes several very obvious mistakes and it all Oof. starts here. We're like three minutes into the episode and she's already like the blood is on her hands literally. And like the, the paper trail is there. <laughs> the voicemail trail. Yeah. In case there is any doubt. Yes, I did murder him. Yeah. Sorry, in case you're curious. Yeah. So the good news is Joseph does get a pretty bow for Christmas and he's dragged outside, but you know, he could have afforded to have lost a few pounds as <laughs> Elizabeth reminds us several times. But uh, unfortunately while she's out there or fortunately uh, Tracy Donahue with headline news calls in and says police and sheriff departments in the Gaines County area have issued an all points bulletin this evening for a male Caucasian reported to have brutally murdered four women in the Pleasantville area. So, Hey, you know, we get the full backstory. He's in his late 40s. He's overweight. He's wearing a Santa Claus suit. Uh, it could have been any of us is what I'm saying here. You know, we, <laughs> we could have been the killer here. But uh, we found out that this killer, he's only after women. He's only out there killing women. But he does interrupt somebody's role play session because he <laughs> he acquires the Santa Claus suit from one of them. So the guy was having a good night. Naked dude? Yeah, there's yeah. just some naked dude in one of these houses, like shell shocked <laughs> over his dead wife, girlfriend. <laughs> A lot of fat shaming in this section of the of the show. Uh, you're talking about the husband's too fat and this guy's overweight. By the way, I don't think the Santa looks that overweight, especially for a Santa. I think right? he's in pretty good shape. Yeah, no, I agree. And actually, that was a uh, comment that my girlfriend made. Carrie later on, she's like, get on up here, you big Santa. And then under her breath, I could just hear her go, well, he's not that big. <laughs> um so yeah, I I agree. They they really wanted to bring down uh, this killer slash Mr. Larry Drake. Uh, Larry, I know you're no longer with us, but you were a perfectly fine bodied uh, Santa Claus, or maybe you weren't in 1989, but at least in 2023 standards, you look great to us. 
Agreed. And Hunter, one thing that you kind of made note of earlier that I love about this kind of scene that we're getting into is they waste no time introducing Mr. Evil Santa to us. Yeah, yeah, that that's definitely a slight change from the comic book. Right. Where, yeah, we, we don't quite get the full reveal yet, but we are we get the face for Evil Santa pretty early on in this episode while that's something that is a change from the comic book that's true yeah in the comic for instance she like actually hears the radio broadcast coming over kind of has time to react freak out accordingly to it right whereas this one it comes out you know as she's dragging that body outside and then and then that's when we meet him i uh i have a note here that just says figgy pudding and cozy vibes i like that she's pleased with herself she has a nice little drink by the fire dead husband slumped over falling behind her after she puts the bow on but uh it's gonna be a happy new year because joseph's dead and you know she's probably got a good six hours before the police catch on because she left a voicemail (laughs) and and dan i will i will add i mean we were talking about how obvious she's making this like really throwing the body in a well like that's your plan that's all you got i mean I know she's not the brightest, but and there seems to be some sort of snowstorm going on out there. But th- there's got to be better options than just an open well that you're going to like at least bury the dude and the snow will cover up until springtime. Come on. I'm from the Northeast, so I understand how that shit works. If there's if it's snowing, you can obviously bury a body. It's going to snow over and then people won't know until spring thaw comes. You've done it a couple times. I mean, you know, you're just going to say as a man that has clearly (laughs) buried several bodies in the snow in his front yard. Let's all, this has been a helpful, helpful tips with Dan. I live near the national park for a reason. Okay. There you go. That's what it's all about. (laughs) Um, Preston, did you notice that they are in the Gaines County area, by the way? Mm -hmm. Oh God. I don't think I noticed that. Yep. Small wow. little reference to the comics there. That's a fun fact right there. I like it. Yeah, good stuff. So, hey, after Elizabeth is done dragging Joseph's fat ass about 100 feet <laughs> while complaining the entire time, he suddenly springs to life and tries to strangle Elizabeth. He ends up dying before finishing the job, probably uh, experiencing cardiac arrest because he's so overweight. I think that's what the show is trying to tell us, right, Dan? Hypertension. Hypertension right. is a dangerous thing. Which... I get it. This is all done for suspense and like fun. You know, it feels like a comic book. That's one of the things I love about this episode is that it feels like not only the comic book it's based on, but just a great comic book adaptation. I think Joseph has been wrapped up in a plastic bag for a while at this point, you know, (laughs) at least 10 minutes. I'm not sure how he suddenly springs to life. Yeah, I'm kind of confused by that one, but I just kind of roll with it because it's a fun little sequence. Because she didn't tie the bottom of the bag. and That shit was taped. That shit was taped around his neck. (laughs) Seems a, seems a little slippery, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to let it slide because he does get to enjoy the snow. Um, But suddenly there's jingle bells. As we come face to face with our killer, the scarred and sort of goofy looking Santa, he takes an icicle to the face, a kick to the nuts and an ax to the hand, but he refuses to give up. Um, I guess this is a good spot for us to bring up the Santa design because we kind of get a really good look at him here. And it is, you know, I I like that it is not quite a mall Santa soup. It does look a little cheap and like it the mm-hmm. the buckle looks a little cardboard, so it's not entirely there, but you're not focused on that as much as you are just 
how deformed <laughs> this Santa Claus is. He's got how terrible teeth. faces. Yeah, he's got like sorry, Larry Drake, but you are a hideous looking man in this getup. <laughs> you you were rough to look at. I think it's mostly the teeth that and, and oh, it, man, he, yeah. Larry Drake has great eyes, but for some reason this Santa's eyes are like all weird and cocky and that com- combined with the teeth and it, yeah, it's it's pretty hideous. Well, I'm I'm glad that you guys kind of brought up that similarity to the Dark Knight of the Scarecrow because that kind of like I mean he's kind of putting off similar vibes, uh, really, especially with those eyes, man. And I'm just glad I do not remember this episode from my childhood because damn, like this would have done some damage. Yeah, I agree, and I think it is one of those things that it is such an iconic design where we remember the design even more so than the story that Santa Claus has kind of become a figure of pop culture where I I feel like people know he's from tales from the crypt, but even if like, they're not entirely sure what it is and they have to kind of scratch the brain, dig back in the catacombs to figure out what it is. The Santa look has stuck with them. And I think that's a cool part of this character. Like they really nailed creepy serial killer Santa. Yeah, I feel like if anyone's seen one episode of Tales from the Crypt, this is probably the one, and they might not even know it's from a TV show. It's just like a one-off weird Santa invasion story. Yeah, that's fair. I do like the um, the encounter at the front door. It definitely gives me a little bit of Halloween 18 vibes with Michael trying to break in. Oh, that's a good arm. point. Yeah. yeah. And then she like chops at it. This Santa can take a hit for sure. Dude, and and I he love just keeps the- coming. I love the uh, the blood on the wall after it happens. Yeah. Like really, really cool effect. Yeah, and he's giggling. He sounds like Goofy from Walt Disney cartoons. Like he's he's <laughs> having a grand old time. I like his little puppy dog yelps. I like his goofy laughs. You can never just tell what what you're gonna get when when you smack this guy. So Elizabeth calls nine one one, but realizes that Good Dead Joe is still out there and hangs up. Uh-oh. Santa can. T- yeah, <laughs> Santa continues to be the Terminator and busts through the window. But you know what? He takes an axe to the head. <laughs> and uh, guess what? He He's still kicking, which is why I call him the Terminator here. Sergeant Feldstein calls and lets her know cops are headed over to her area in 20 minutes. And Elizabeth realizes she missed the radio uh, broadcast earlier that mentioned the killer was on the loose. She now realizes, she just now realizes that she has the perfect motive Oh no, officer, I didn't kill him. Santa did, which first of all, won't work because he only kills women. Secondly, you left the voicemail. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm going to keep bringing up the voicemail. I know it's a silly thing, but come on, Elizabeth, you had to think, you had to think this through. She takes the ax back out though, and she plants it in Joseph's head, which is a pretty funny scene, right? With her trying to get the ax through and she keeps missing. Oh, yeah. pretty comedic. Um, but however, like a crackhead outside of your local Wawa, Santa gets back up and goes after that axe. <laughs> Basically, you know, exactly how the Salvation Army does it. So, yeah, 100 percent. This is just a really fun sneaking sequence. This is kind of where the action has a small little break where you kind of worry for our it's weird to call her a heroine, but our main (laughs) character has to go back out through the front door and she's figured out this master plan, which is silly, but let's just roll with it. And she's like, hey, I think I've got a way out of this. And just the tension of her sneaking through the front yard past the down Santa 
it's a pretty fun little sequence here. And then you have the comedic break with her trying to plant the axe in the head. I don't know yeah, why she got no. so squeamish. Like she jacked the dude in the head with the fireplace poker. No problem. But now you got to drive an ax in his skull. And now, now you're going to get a little squeamish. The yeah. ax is too brutal. It's it, you know, where it's like big needle, like maybe you're fine with needles, but not fine with knives. I get it. You know, I can work with it. I just feel like if you're going to destroy someone's head, you should be okay with no matter how you destroy it. <laughs> Man, I'll say, Hunter, you you said like how kind of fun this sequence is and kind of the suspense that it's building, right? As she kind of has to sneak back out. I mean, that is exactly conveyed through the comic as well. I mean, as I mentioned, the suspense that they were able to get across in just those few pages where now I can kind of openly talk about it without spoiling things. Like, you know, she has committed this murder. She's trying to cover it it up but she's also trying to defend herself and her daughter right from the serial killer and it's a it's a really it's really interesting dilemma our uh our our late our leading lady has has gotten herself into do you think he is a serial killer do you think he went to the insane asylum because he is a serial killer or is he just killing now because he's angry that he was an insane asylum I'm going to go with this man has definitely murdered before. <laughs> I, I don't think there's some, I don't think there's a tragic backstory here, but I mean, look, if they want to give me the backstory that he's sad because his mom's a stripper and she's dancing to everybody hurts and you know, she's away on Halloween night. Like I'll, keep I'll seeing a that. white horse. Yeah. It's, it's really weird, but if they want to give me that backstory, I'll take it. Fair enough. He's got a weird jail cell full of masks. You, you, you guys know I'm in, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so Elizabeth, she calls 911 again before realizing Santa is gone. She runs into the closet to get Joseph's dirty, hairy revolver, but apparently her home is an actual piece of shit that won't stop falling apart because she finds herself <laughs> trapped in the closet. That is the flimsiest door handle. I have ever seen. <laughs> um, these should have really fixed that. But you know what? I'm willing to let it slide because we all have that thing in our house that we just kind of roll with that we're oh, too God. lazy to fix. Like, you know, it's just a bad screw or whatever. So I get it. You know, I'm fine with it. What I can't forgive, though, is that once she does get out of the closet, she still forgets to grab the gun. And I get it. She's in a rush. She's going upstairs. She's worried for her daughter. But you were you were so close you were right there and i guess maybe you could say hey you know she can't quite reach it so she's kind of given up at that point but i th i think she could have done it and she should have grabbed that gun oh, so when, she needs the gun when she calls the second time this is how you know that mary ellen trainer is a fantastic actress because she plays poor actress uh you know she's trying to tell oh cops the 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 Santa has killed yeah. my husband and yeah. it's, it's so bad and cheesy. And she flips it on a dime when she looks out and sees the Michael Myers, you know, <laughs> has risen from the ground and Oh no, now Santa is alive. And, and from then on, she's no, I'm actually panicked. And she plays it beautifully. You know, that's a great point because I realized that, but I didn't put it into my notes. Yeah. That, that is a great sequence. And that really proves the strength of the actress here where we keep making fun of the character, but the performance is really impeccable. Oh my gosh. Listen, one thing I want to make note of is exactly right. During that phone call, Dude, look at her facial expressions the next time you watch this. I mean, she is getting it across. She she absolutely killed this entire episode, but this scene in particular, she is uh she is something else in, man, in, in the best way. So Carrie upstairs, proving the timeless charm of Christmas spirit and that of dumb kids, 
cheers Santa on as he climbs the ladder up into her room. <laughs> Hurry up, you big old Santa. Where are my presents, Santa? She's so excited, and I get it. It's supposed to be a celebration of childhood innocence and like celebration. But look, I've seen numerous kids at the mall afraid of just regular Santa Claus. Carrie Carrie has a wonderful imagination and she's very accepting. I'm sure she grew up to be a wonderful person because she is not startled at all by the Santa Claus when clearly <laughs> something is off here. He smells like a, a insane asylum and he's not wearing his beard the right way. Right. <laughs> but right. it's a good Santa to invite in your house. That's right. Hurry up, you big old Santa. So, like I mentioned, Elizabeth does finally break free. She runs upstairs, and Carrie is gone. But almost immediately, Carrie cries from the bottom of the staircase, announcing that Santa is here, and she let him in. And then a true feat of strength and endurance, like uh, like Chester Bennington and that one Linkin Park oh. song. Oh, no. Elizabeth just screams about 18 times in a <laughs> row. <laughs> What a great, like, final horror movie scream, too. And the way that the music culminates all around it, it is, you know, it's one of those sequences that does go on for a minute, but it's it's comical, it's a little bit scary, it's goofy, and in true EC comic fashion, our bad our bad character gets their comeuppance. And uh, as we find out, Gary is actually okay. So, hey, I guess things all worked out in the end. Because she's not a woman yet? That was my, that's what I was confused by is he, he only wants to kill women, but she's not old enough, I guess it's, it's well, weird. Yeah. Assuming that there's a, a, a naked guy without his Santa suit that's still <laughs> with his lover and um, maybe some, some children that are now going to be orphans. Uh, the crypt keeper, he does tell us that uh, he only preferred older women, which is a little bit of a, a snarky joke, but yeah, I guess, I guess he's not a child killer. He's like the, uh, antithesis uh, of Freddy Krueger. He only wants women, hot local cougars in your area. <laughs> he only likes the hitting cougars. <laughs> that's right. Man, Hunter, you hit on it, dude. For somebody that's used to not like being in a ton of horror stuff, obviously, Mary Ellen Trainer. That final scene, like that, was awesome. I I loved the over the top zoom in, just scream after scream. I mean, that was that was awesome. Did anybody get the full count of the screams? Because oh, I forgot to do it, that. and I was hoping one of you guys grabbed it. Oh, I did not. Oh, that's all right. We'll make it a listener question. If you know how many screams... <laughs> I'm just playing. Um, <laughs> but yes, that brings us to the end of All Through the House. This is a wonderful Crypt Keeper moment because my notes here say little yoda man um because <laughs> he is he is totally like a little yoda puppet he's like curled up into a ball like your pets get in and he's just he's really funny looking <laughs> in this this shot right here 
My notes always say little Yoda man, but that's just because I love Yoda. Yeah, no, I get it. It just I like to imagine that is your your Jack Torrance instead of writing all work and no play. It just says little Yoda man <laughs> over and over again. Yeah. All work and no play, little Yoda man. <laughs> but um, yeah, we're still getting a little bit of that creepy crypt keeper where he's he doesn't feel quite right. Like I understand they're still figuring out the character at this point, but. And th- this is a totally valid interpretation of the Crypt Keeper, and I know some people prefer it, but it still is weird when you get that creepier side of the Crypt Keeper and him curled up into a tight little cat ball, little Yoda man, uh, <laughs> really adds to that factor. I want to scratch right. his ears. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> They'd probably some fall off in your hand. <laughs> Dude, I uh, I am not going to be able to get something out of my head that you mentioned earlier, Hunter. Every time I watch this damn episode, that... That Santa mask, obviously, you know, in our outro here, he's got it off. I mean, it literally looks as if the Coca-Cola Santa Claus had his face ripped off by, you know, Leatherface. This oh, is, yeah. Uh, huh, that's, I'm not going to forget that. Yeah, no, totally. I, I 100% see that. But <laughs> hey, that brings us to the end of episode two of Tales from the Crypt and all through the house. So let's go ahead and give up our signature severed thumbs rating so actually we're going to start how we did introductions dan where is this episode sitting for you on your your thumbs list here i hate to do too high so i'm gonna go four thumbs four severed thumbs straight up santa's hoo-ha because the episode was absolutely gorgeous and the performances were top-notch uh and not much knocking it down so four thumbs straight up president i'm going to give you the benefit of going last for this one you'll be the ultimate fate decider but you know i mentioned last week that my favorite episode or i guess with this episode i listened to, i mentioned on the last episode regardless that um my my favorite tales from the crypt episodes have that little bit of an extra twist to it and spark. And I, I think that's on full display here. It's a wonderful adaptation of the comic book. And it's one of those slices of Christmas horror that I absolutely love. This is an episode that is going to continue to be my most seen because it just becomes one that without fail, I pop on a couple times a year when I want a little bit of Christmassy horror. That said, there's still a couple of episodes that I prefer a little bit more. Um, I do like this just a tad bit more than last week's episode. So I'm giving it a pretty high rating here. I'm going to say 4.5 Little Yoda Man thumbs straight up. Ah, man, this is tough, man. I mean, it's an absolute Christmas staple, right? A plus talent. Like we said, in front of the camera and behind. I mean, between Zemeckis, between Cundy, Mary Ellen, Trailer, Larry Drake, obviously leading this. Hunter, I'm going to go right with you, man. I'm going to go four and a half severed thumbs out of five. I think this is a big old A and um, something that you can watch every single Christmas season. And uh, I love that about it. So, yeah, I, I feel good with that. I don't know what it's going to take to get me to five. But it's going to have to be something special. We'll see. I get that. I get that. I, I totally agree with you. I think this one has earned its reputation. And obviously, we knew what we were doing by putting this one front and center on the cover artwork. That said, I, I you know, I did kind of go back and forth because we are playing by, you know, the half point system. So, you know, if we really got into the minutiae where it was like on a hundred point scale, where would this sit? 
But for me, I feel pretty good about the the 4.5. Thank you for listening to Horrors from the Vault. This has been another fun episode with two of the best scary spooky guys in the land. Let's go ahead and do a little bit of housekeeping or crypt keeping, if you will. And we'll go ahead and get out of here. Dan, thanks again, my friend, for being here. When you are not being devilish, Dan, I know people can find you a couple different places. Where's the best place to do that? I'm always devilish, but if you want to see how devilish I can be, you can check me out on all them good socials at Instagram, Threads, Blue Sky, Twitter. That's at Red Right Dan. Or if you want to reach out to us as the podcast whole, uh, you can follow us all those same places at Horror Vault Pod. Also, if you want to write a long form email and tell us how awesome we are, uh, don't tell us that we aren't awesome, only how awesome we are. <laughs> that's HorrorVaultPod at gmail.com. Awesome, awesome. Preston. I know just like Dan always being devilish, uh, you are usually quite petrified. So <laughs> where are you being petrified at currently? Jeez, I, I'm just too busy seeing how devilish, devilish Dan is, really. Wow. Um, but, uh, dude, I had like a hell of a letterbox day yesterday, let me tell you. And you can see all the things I'm logging over on Letterboxd at Preston967. Um, I'm, you can find me under the same name on Twitter, uh, Preston Green on Facebook, you know, I'm getting into stuff over there occasionally. So yeah. And catch me right here. Of course, Horrors from the Vault, man. This is, uh, this is so exciting getting in to the good stuff. Um, you know, I don't want to tease too much, but, uh, episode three, it's a banger too. You mentioned Letterboxd, so make sure to follow me over there at Discount Vincent Price. I also have been logging a lot. At the time of recording, Preston, I uh, I, I logged four things yesterday. I was feeling pretty Dude, good about same. that. Yeah. I watched, we were talking about five thumbs, five stars. I rated one of my absolute favorite perfect movies, which is the original Invisible Man universal Aww. classic. I watched the Invisible Man revealed that documentary about the history. It's all right. I, I celebrated the 80th anniversary of the Claude Rains Phantom of the Opera. It's all right. You should really just watch the Lon Chaney version instead. And then I, I wrapped up with the Old Dark House. So it was a very universal monster day yesterday as I prepared for Halloween Horror Night. So yeah, I'm right there with you. Yeah, dude, of that's course, a good day. Oh, man, it was a great day. Of course, you can also follow me on the podcast, The Catacombs of Halloween Horror Nights. We have a review of HHN 32 coming your way very soon. Should be just a couple days after this episode uploads. So if you want to hear our thoughts on the latest Halloween Horror Nights event, go check that out. You can also find me on the pop culture slash theme park podcast, Grim Grinning Hosts, and then finally, Disorder, every Disney film. We'd like to give a thank you to the Neo Zaz Podcast Network for hosting us. Make sure to go check out all the other shows. And once again, if you love that theme music, check out Orlando pop punk band, Penguin at Penguin FL. You can listen to songs about Bill Paxton, tacos, all sorts of fun stuff. You're going to love it. But hey, that's been Horrors from the Vault. Crypt Keeper, let's get out. It's time to slam the book shut for this episode of Horrors from the Vault. We hope you had a bone-chillingly delightful time. And your deep-breathed souls were satisfied to the macabre cause. Beware, kiddies, because the next time you dare to venture into the vault, you might not come back at all. <laughs> Ha 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 
Right. 